we have a great tech team. They worked long and hard on that video. But every time I see it, I come up with something that I hadn't seen before. Have you noticed that when she goes to make the coffee, the coffee cup that's under the thing is dirty? It's got, it's got old coffee in the bottom of it. And then she just hits, anyway, sorry, just. <sighs> so on that note, we, uh, we should pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, thank you for this morning. And I thank you that uh, all throughout scripture is woven this whole idea of, of peace. Shalom. It's more than just circumstantial ease, but it's this deep sense of wholeness and harmony and oneness and unity and righteousness and all these things roll together. And I know that for most of us who came in this morning, there are just places in our lives that, that aren't peaceful. There are things that we're worried about this week, which we know that conflicts will have to be addressed and relationships that are not where they need to be. Lord, we're going to have to face some of those realities but how we hunger for that, Lord. Just that picture at the end of the video, a chair and a coffee cup, just to have a few moments of peace. Father, I pray we would know that this morning because we made a decision to come to your house and to reorient our lives away from all the stirrings of our world and to remember one more time that you are enthroned in heaven and that all things are held in your hands, that you are trustworthy. And so in you, we can rest and find peace. May we know that peace this morning as we come to look at your word, both its blessing and its challenge. And so Lord, overcome my sinful nature today that you alone would receive all honor and glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Out of reverence for the word of the Lord, would you stand this morning? This is a small part of Romans chapter 12. Uh, when Paul writes, beginning in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord today for you as church, and may its truth and its power fill our hearts with peace now and as we move into our world this afternoon and in the days and weeks to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I started working on this sermon a few weeks ago, I, I was just doing a lot of reflecting on what's happening in our world, what's happening in our country, what's happening in our culture. And, and I, I was trying to decide if I had to pick one word to describe what I'm seeing, what I'm sensing and feeling. Uh, I would definitely have said that probably the last word I would pick is the word peace or peaceful. 
Uh, I wonder how many of you, if you had to think right now, what's the one word I would use to describe current culture? I doubt many of you would pick the word peace or peaceful either. It's, it's one of the most chaotic times I think I ever remember, at least in my, my own life. The political world these days is just so stirred up. And no matter what side you may land on, the just the sense of anger and hatred and vitriol that's getting thrown back and forth from one side to another. And, and it reminds you more of war than it, than it does peace. And then you look at what's happening in our culture in terms of sexuality and marriage and, and family. And again, April 3rd, 7.30 here in the sanctuary, I'm gonna to speak to that in a much larger way. So I wanna remind you of that. But it seems like in those realms, we pick a side and then we stop talking to the other side that once you decide what you're in favor of or not in favor of, that that immediately prevents any conversation or relationship. And then we look at economics today and you got the haves and the have nots and the divide between the two seems to be getting wider. The middle class is disappearing. Generational poverty becomes more and more entrenched. And it seems like those sides never converse and don't necessarily understand the other or get along. And that leads into education. Front page of the paper today, public, private, voucher, charter. They're all upset with each other over who gets what money and what politics are involved. And then you look at the economics of that and you look at the race, uh, racism that's involved in that and you have underperforming neighborhoods and very poor zip codes. How do we bring justice into our educational system? And then this is Black History Month when we remember that we do live in a very racialized culture, that we are not unified as a multi-ethnic population. There is great work to be done. You look at what's happening around the world and it just goes on and on and on between North Korea and China and India and Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Cuba, Venezuela. I mean, the list just goes on. And that's everything out there. We're not even talking about your individual life. We're not even talking yet about what's going on with you and your circumstances. I mean, how many of you don't, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you right now would, would say, you know what, when I think about my life, I mean, day in, day out, I'm, I'm real contented and my life seems to be in pretty much the right place. And I'm, I feel pretty peaceful most every day. I, I'm just telling you right now, I, I don't feel that. I would not describe my life as one of this constant abiding peace. And to be honest with you, it's kind of depressing, right? I mean, some of you right now are going, Mount Swanson is off to a downer this morning. You know, what, what did he eat for breakfast, right? But, but that is what leads to a sense of hopelessness in life is when you and I lose a sense that we have the power to change our circumstances. That's what leads to hopelessness. When we feel like life is just happening to us and there's nothing we can do about it. And even as Christians, I mean, we, we can say, oh, I, I believe that God can, but we will look at the enormity of it and all the things that I just mentioned and we, we just lead these common, ordinary, routine lives. There's nothing particularly special about us that's gonna change whether or not the world or our culture is at peace. We start to think, well, there's not much I can do about that. But even so, maybe, maybe you've noticed that every Sunday in worship, we, we do this little thing. It's called the passing of the... How about that? And so far, none of you have balked. 
You know, when I say now, or Josh says it, we're gonna pass to each other the peace of Christ. No one yet has said, fat chance, that'll never happen. You, you, all, you all do it. You pass the peace of Christ. Why? And I know some of you introverts, you hate that. Oh gosh, I have to turn around and talk to someone now. Some of you have asked, can we eliminate that from the service? Well, the passing of the peace has actually existed since the beginning of the Christian church, like almost from the first service. And it became such an important part of the worship experience because it was a moment of reconciliation. And I wanna get this right. In the middle of the service, a deacon, and again, we didn't have sound systems in the third century, so a deacon would stand up and shout, is there anyone who keeps anger against his fellow? And so it was... A time to say, okay, if, if you've got an issue with someone, you need to go make peace. And the, the particular historian that I was reading said that often husbands and wives would get up out of the sanctuary and go outside and to be reconciled and offer forgiveness for the fight that they had on their way to church. And I thought, my goodness, how things have not changed. It's a wonderful thing. But it was an important part of reconciliation. And, and the reality is, and we just did it. You just offered it to each other. But just that one moment where you stand up and you look someone in the eye and maybe you take their hand or you hug their neck and you look at them and you say, may the peace of Christ be with you. That for them may be the moment of greatest peace that they will have in their whole week. You don't know their life. And so it's not some trite, sort of routine, meaningless experience we go through, but the passing of the peace exists in worship because it reminds us as God's people that this is what we're supposed to offer each other. That because Christ lives and reigns within us, we are to be those who, even though it may seem as if it's not gonna really make that much difference on the grand scheme of things, but that God calls us to it, and if he calls us to it, then in the kingdom of God, it does matter. It can make a difference when you do something as simple when filled by the Holy Spirit, to turn to someone else and say, may the peace of Jesus be with you. That, that matters. But again, it can feel so, so big and so elusive to us because of the daily experience of chaos that we all understand. So that's what gets us to Romans 12 verses 17 and 18 today. And whenever we talk about Romans, I always wanna remind you, Rome was kind of the center of the universe at that time. So Paul knew if the church at Rome could be strong, then the Christian church would have global influence. It's like today, if we wanted to have the biggest Christian impact in the world, then we would wanna evangelize New York City, right? Because if man, if New York City came to Christ, the global impact of that would be enormous. Same thing was true about Rome. So Paul writes 16 chapters. It's his most complete theological work 
to the church at Rome because Rome really mattered. It was such an important geographic, social uh, city of influence. And so over these first 12 chapters, first 11 chapters, he says, theologically, here's what you need to believe and here's why. But then in chapter 12, he starts getting into the practical side. He says, if you know this and if you believe this, then here's how I want you to start acting. And we read these first two verses two weeks ago when I was preaching on the sermon about our our physical body. Paul says, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of how God has treated you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then here's the key. This is your spiritual act of worship. So he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what Paul's doing is he's turning kind of upside down the prior notion and understanding of worship, which was spatially defined. We're gonna worship God when we come to the synagogue or in the early church when we come to a a sanctuary or a gathering. But Paul says, I want you to think differently such that now all of life is actually an act of worship. What you do physically with your body is an act of worship. And then he goes on to say, here's what it looks like. He says, all of you have received gifts. So I want you to use your gifts for the kingdom of God. He says, I want you to hate what's evil. I want you to love what is good. I want you to be kind. I want you to be hospitable. I mean, it's a great recipe for what the kingdom of God, for what the church is to be like. But then in verse 17, he gets down to kind of the harder, more uh, truthful realities. He says... Don't repay anyone evil for evil. So Paul there is referring to the fact that we live on planet earth and it's flawed and it's broken and relationships are hard. And yes, sometimes there's conflict. And he says, don't, when someone wounds and hurts you, don't go pay them back. Don't seek vengeance because that just stirs everything up more. Let me do that. I'll handle the justice part is essentially what he's saying. Then he goes on, he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. So he says, think about your public witness. What are you demonstrating? What are you saying by how you live about what is true about the kingdom of God? And then he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And there it is. God says, in my kingdom, You and I are to try or to make the effort to live at peace with, hard word, everyone. There's not much equivocation in everyone, is there? So that means all you people who love Donald Trump, you have to make the effort to be at peace with everybody that loves Nancy Pelosi and vice versa. And I could go right down the list of the places where we don't know peace. And it's challenging, isn't it? He says, we have to make the effort to live at peace with everybody. Why? Because that's what God has done for us in Christ. It's what reconciliation and forgiveness look like. And we'll get to that in a minute. So Let's, let's kind of dig into what Paul is getting at here first. The command that we be in the kingdom of God, a peaceable kingdom is clear. 
He says it here in verse 18, but there are all these other places where it's talked about. Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitudes, one of the most well-known, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. So God says there's gonna be a unique blessing for those of you who have in your, in your mind and in your life this idea that I wanna be making peace. God says you're gonna be blessed. Then in Exodus, Old Testament 23, four and five, this is one of my favorite little, little quirky passages that most of you probably never heard of, but I love it. He says, when you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey going astray. Okay, so you're walking down the street and the guy that you hate, who's done you wrong, you come upon his ox. And in your heart, I guarantee you, you're thinking, what an opportunity. But what does it say? It says, you shall bring it back. When you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, and you would hold back from setting it free, you must help set it free. And we hear that and we're like, no. Why? Because you want justice. That guy wronged you. And you see his ox in the ditch and you go, he deserves it. You're pleased. But what God says is, don't be that way. Because if you don't pull it out, then all you're doing is adding to the conflict when you could have done something to bring peace. Because when the guy that hates you sees you walking down his road, bringing his ox, what's gonna happen? More peace. But the only way that we get over our foot stomping, no, he wronged me, is we have to have a heart change. John 14, seven, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. So what God is saying to us is his peace is different from the world's peace. The world's peace is circumstantial. Everyone in the secular world believes that I will find peace and contentment when all my circumstances line up and I finally have what I want. I've got the right income, I live in the right neighborhood, I'm married to the right person, I've got really outstanding children, all these things are good, I'll be at peace. But Jesus says, no, that's not my peace. My peace comes from knowing the truth of your baptism, that you are in Christ, you're the beloved. And he delights in your life, he's pleased with you. And that when you come to know that truth, that God in Christ has laid his life down for you. I rejoice in the fact that God says to me, peace in my life is not dependent on my circumstance, but I can know peace that is deep and rich inside. It's peace of heart because I know that Jesus loves me and I know that he sits on the throne and I know that I can trust him in all things. I know that now, on one hand, we go, well, that sounds great. But my point is, if that's all you do, if you just come to a place where you have peace in your heart through Christ, that's actually not enough when we live in the kingdom of God because God then says, okay, what I want you to do is to take that peace that you know, and I want you to begin to extend it in the community in which you live. There's a, there's a, a band that most of you probably never heard of called Waterdeep. 
And in one of their songs, there's one line that says, you talk of hating war, but where's your own peacetime? So the question is, we can talk all day long about the peace of Christ and, oh, he's forgiven me, da 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 but, but if we're not working for peacetime in our own community, in our own sphere of life and the relationships that we have, then, then what we say we feel inside, it gets kind of negated if we're not actually living into that peace, which means the only way you and I are going to begin to extend that peace into the world is if we learn how to be those who forgive. And forgiveness, we find, is at the heart of being able to enact a peaceable kingdom. And for those of you who were on the marriage retreat last weekend, we talked for a long time about forgiveness. So let me kind of give you a glimpse into the, uh, the Swanson uh, uh, marriage. Uh, what a roller coaster that is. So we, we uh, you know, Lee and I get up about the same time every day, but I am much faster getting ready than she is. And so I'm usually out the door in 20 to 25 minutes. We'll talk about that later. But I'm out the door fast. She leaves a few uh, minutes after me. But on this one particular morning, she got up and she had an early meeting. So she left about 10 minutes before I did. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm kind of shot out of a cannon. Like I'm just, I'm ready to hit the ground running. I've got stuff I got to do. I got to make a call on my way. So I'm getting all my stuff together. I go past the counter where my keys are. And I don't know how you do it, but in my place, there is a, in my house, there's a certain place where the keys live. They live on the counter. And I got to the counter and the keys were not home. They were not in their place. And so I turned my house upside down, looking for the keys. And then it dawns on me. Lee drove my car last night. She has my keys. She's halfway to Oviedo. So I call her on the phone and I said, honey, do you have my keys? And there's irritation in my voice. I'm not happy. And she looks in her purse and she goes, yes. And I turn in to a petulant child. I am huffing, I am ranting. I can't believe you did this. Do you understand what this means for my day? She was completely apologetic. I'm so sorry. I'm turning around the car right now. And so I am just, as she's coming back, I'm in the house like this. And yes, don't get on me about the fact that I don't have a replacement fob, the battery's dead. This all could have been avoided, I know that. But she comes in and she's apologetic. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I want my pound of flesh, right? Give me the keys. And I walk out so that I can go to church and talk to people about how you can bring peace into your life. <laughs> See, if, if there's no peace in my own household, then how much I talk about peace in other relationships, I, I had to bring forgiveness into my own marriage first. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So what happens is you find that internal peace with Christ, that he forgives you, you're reconciled to the father. You and the father come to a place of peace. And then he says, okay, now what I did for you, that's your ministry in the world. You go help other people be reconciled. So he's given us that ministry. I love what Anne Lamott writes. She says, earth is forgiveness school. 
You might as well start at the dinner table. That way you can do this work in comfortable pants. If you're gonna be alive, you have to be able to forgive. And one of the things that Jean Martin said on our marriage retreat, she said, unforgiveness is like an acid that eats away at the inside of your heart. And eventually it will spring a leak of bitterness that will start to bleed into all the other dynamics of your life. So where is there in you now a place of unforgiveness? I had to deal with it that day with my wife. There was unforgiveness in my heart. Maybe it's not just in your marriage. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with a neighbor who keeps driving on your lawn when they back out of their driveway. Or maybe it's with a coworker and you need to have a, a conversation. And, and I know, I know in your mind you're going, but they wounded me. See, you, you, want, you want justice. You wanna be sure they get what they deserve. But here's the thing. If you always insist on that, then what you're actually doing is you're diminishing and flaunting your own forgiveness in Jesus because you wronged God. You did, and you do it over and over and over again. And yet he lavishes on you grace. So then how can you go to your neighbor and say, nope, not giving it to you. And I'm, I'm not saying that by forgiving them that you're forgetting what happened or you're immediately trusting them once more. That's not it. But forgiveness is actually the gift that you give yourself because you stop allowing the bitterness to grow and you allow your faith in God to absorb the debt that they owe you for the wound. So where are the places where we can be agents of reconciliation, agents of peace in our personal relationships? Because that's where it has to start. But then secondly, I don't have as long for this point as I thought I would have, but, but there's a caveat to this, and, and, and here it is. When God says we are to be peacemakers, that does not mean peace at any cost. Jesus was not a go-along to get-along kind of guy. Paul says, if it's possible, and as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. The implication is there are times when it won't be possible and when it will not depend on you. And peace is not something that comes automatically. Peace is oftentimes something you have to work for. When the angels declared at Christmas to the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the world was not a place of peace yet. And when Jesus came and grew and started his ministry, he was a person of peace in many instances, but he also turned the social order upside down. He moved into the temple courts and he spoke against the religious leaders and he stood against injustice and he stood for the people who had been oppressed because without justice, there is no peace. And so we have to understand as believers in Jesus Christ, we're gonna make every effort to be at peace. But I've had plenty of situations, friends, where as soon as someone finds out that I'm a Christian pastor, they're just not gonna be at peace with me. And I can have conversations and I can explain. 
but they're still going to choose to be at odds with me because of that one thing. The gospel by definition is offensive. And so there will be times in your life where it will not be possible to be at peace. And it was certainly true that Jesus was not at peace with all people. He even said, Matthew 10, 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword not meaning violence, but a sword meaning that there would be times when the gospel will divide us. Tish Warren writes in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Christ's peace is never a cheap peace. It is never a peace that skims the surface or papers over the wrong that's been done. It's not a peace that plays nicey-nice, denies hurt, or avoids conflict. It is never a peace that is insecure or ignores injustice. It's a peace that is honest and hard won, that speaks truth and seeks justice, that costs something and that takes time. It's a peace that offers reconciliation. See, sometimes peace is hard won when there's injustice and we as Christian people stand against the structures in our communities where there is injustice, it's gonna take time to win that peace. It's gonna take time as Jesus demonstrated. The kingdom is not fully realized. And yet in ways large and small, you and I can be agents of peace in nearly every instance because that's precisely what God did for us. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. So when we were lost, and deserving of our own judgment, when God was right to put his justice on us, even in that spot, he dies for us. He tells us the wages of sin is death. And again, there's a reason why you wanna leave your enemy's ox in the ditch. Because to you, that's just. Well, guess what? You've been created in the image of God. One of God's essential characteristics is his justice. You want that. Because if God is not just, then all the injustice that you see in the world goes unchecked forever. And how would you ever sleep at night if you thought that to be true? But God said, I will bring my justice. That's on me, that's not on you. But friends, that justice also includes us. There was a, there was a penalty that we had to pay because we had wronged God. But the hope of the gospel is the very thing that God demands he provides in himself. And he says, the covenant that I've made with you, the promise that I've made with you, I'm gonna keep that promise even at the cost of my own life. And so God pays our penalty, reconciles us to the father and creates peace within our hearts. And that's where it all begins. That is the foundation of the peaceable kingdom unfulfilled as yet, but one day to come in glory. When you know that you have peace with God in Christ, then you become agents of peace in your marriages, in your neighborhoods, your families, your vocations. And then you can begin to see the bigger picture of where does peace need to come in my culture? Where do I need to stand against the injustices of our world? And where do I need to work so that the peace of God may be revealed and that peace of God may come? Again from Tish Warren, we are a quarreling people, but God is reforming us through our ordinary moments to become a people who establish his kingdom of peace. And it's an act of faith. 
It takes faith to believe that our little frail faithfulness can produce fruit. It takes faith to believe that laying down my sword in my kitchen has anything to do with cosmic peace on earth. It takes faith to believe that God is slowly through repentance, making us a people capable of saying to the world by our lives, may the peace of Christ be with you. It takes faith. So here's what I wanna leave you with. We did something as an act of worship today that is intended to be a reminder of how we live tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I want you to think as you leave, how can God form me as a person first? I have to be grounded in the peace that I have in my relationship with God through Christ. And then tomorrow, how can we become those who will turn to another and literally or figuratively take their hand and look them in the eye and say to them, may the peace of Christ be with you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let us pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you have brought peace in our hearts, in our relationship with you through Christ. And so may we now be instruments and agents of that peace in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.